sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. Not to start off and lose you by being too philosophical, but there was a guy by the name of Hegel who talked about the, uh, the reaction and overreaction from one side to the other using philosophical terms. And we've certainly seen that happen in our political, social, culture wars here in America. We're going to look at one small aspect of that, I think, today with my guests, attorney and scholar Nicholas Miller, professor at Andrews University and director of the Andrews International Religious Liberty Institute. Nick, welcome back to Freedom's Reign. Always good to be with you, Alan. So, you know, I'm going to start with a, um, a brief account from an article I was reading in, of all places, the New York Times this week, critical of the ACLU. But apparently, they had gone to bat, as they often do for unpopular causes. In this case, the, some of the, the right-wing groups that wanted to demonstrate there in Charlottesville, Virginia, back in 2017, I think it was. And uh, they were successful in winning their right to participate. But after the fact, as our listeners may recall, uh, one of their number drove a car into the crowd and struck someone and killed a young lady. And apparently the ACLU folks then reacted with a certain amount of horror that their defense of the free speech rights of these conservative groups had resulted in someone's death. And that may be just, you know, kind of a tip of the iceberg uh, part of the story. Because the left, you know, for all of their commitment to the Constitution, to free speech, seems like they're rethinking just how far they want to go in protecting free speech. And we're seeing increasing challenges to free speech these days. So, Nick, what are some of the things that you're seeing in terms of, of real concerns about free speech and the reluctance of, you know, the secular and progressive parts of our society to vigorously defend free speech. So perhaps we should start by making clear that both you and I acknowledge the problems on the far right and Christian nationalism, and we're horrified by the you know January 6th invasion of our capital, and we have been critics of what we call Christian nationalism. But having said all of that, we are concerned about the reactions and in some instances the overreactions to that. And uh, just something that was in the news this week, um, the Facebook board, some board overseeing Facebook policy met to examine the question of Donald Trump. How long should he be banned from Facebook for? And I think that there was a legitimate basis, given the January 6th insurrection and his speech leading up to it. It was irresponsible. It was intemperate. And I think lawyers could conclude that it did, in fact, help lead to the violence that followed. And so that kind of speech isn't protected by the First Amendment. Imminent incitement to violence is not protected speech. And I thought that Twitter and Facebook were in their rights to have him off their platforms, at least for the duration of his presidency. 
But now that's over and he's a private citizen. But Facebook's decided that he has a ban for two years, right? And that's far beyond, that wouldn't meet any constitutional standard of First Amendment protections relating to, uh, you know, the dangers of uh, incitement to violence. But the reality is, is that Facebook isn't uh, bound by the First Amendment because it's a private organization. And so they can decide who to have on their platform and who not. But it does raise the question of whether they have become Twitter and Facebook and a few of these social media companies have become so pervasive and so big that they've effectively taken over the public forum space that used to be government space where our speech was protected. And now it's not. And they can control who says what. And let let me just add this. I know you want to jump in, but here, and I'll let you in a moment, but you may not care about Donald Trump and want to hear him speak. I'm sure some of our listeners do. <laughs> but And some of our listeners do, and some of our listeners are outraged. But some listeners, are, you know, it doesn't matter. Send him off to Siberia. We don't want to hear from him again. But the same power that turns his speech off can as easily turn your speech off. And I'll just give you an example. I've got a good evangelist friend who who does Facebook Live, and, and he's very charismatic, persuasive guy. And And he's reading through this book on the life of Christ, The Desire of Ages. And he literally had thousands of people following his daily reading of this on Facebook Live, six, seven thousand people. And Facebook, for some unknown reason that we still don't understand, just decided somebody probably complained. He wasn't talking about sexuality or the vaccine or anything. Talking about Jesus. Yeah. Talking about Jesus. But just because he's a conservative Christian, he got pulled. His whole thing got shut down. Our church has a website on public affairs and religious liberty. Uh, I can't post articles from that website on Facebook because somebody out there has complained about our positions on, I don't know what it is, maybe sexuality, maybe gender, I, I don't know. But the point is, is that the avenues of discourse are closed to us arbitrarily and sometimes unilaterally with no recourse. And this is a problem. This is a problem. So, you know, Your discussion of the fact that the First Amendment does not apply to private actors like Facebook brought back to mind some cases that I hadn't thought about in a long time. And they're cases concerning whether the public spaces in shopping malls are open to free speech activities and whether, for example, Christians can... Uh, can preach or witness, you know, one-on-one with individuals and engage in, in free speech activities and shopping in the public parts, you know, outside of stores, in the hallways and such. And, you know, I haven't looked at this in a while, but I recall that there were two key cases, one in California and one in New York, and they contradicted each other. One said, yes, You know, these have become like public spaces, and therefore they should allow free speech activities. And the other one said, no, after all, this is private property. So, you know, now it appears that social media has become kind of the new public meeting place that it used to be, you know, on private property, on shopping malls. And uh, so there's at least a, a conceptual precedent for applying the First Amendment in these new and interesting ways. Um, but having said that, Nick, it seems to me that the flip side of that is, unlike some other countries that don't have our First Amendment and can outlaw hate speech, 
you know, we do not permit the banning of a speech simply because it's offensive, you know, as long as it's not. I mean, there are boundaries, of course, inciting to violence, but hate speech as such, just, uh, you know, sermons that may discuss topics, for example, of human sexuality can't simply be branded as hate speech under our First Amendment, right? So, yes, hate speech is protected under the Constitution, but only against the government. In other words, the government cannot intervene to censor your hate speech, but private organizations can and do. And this was the problem with Facebook and Twitter, uh, this Adventist evangelist teaching on the life of Christ, nothing hateful about it at all, but somebody complained and they said it didn't meet their community standards. There's a piece of federal legislation that your listeners should probably know about, Section 930 or something like that, that protects public platforms from any kind of liability or state discrimination laws in the way they manage their platforms. And in some ways, it's a good thing because it prevents them from being liable for, you know, defamation or slander. How could Facebook possibly review everyone's comments before they were put up? But unfortunately, and so I agree with that aspect of it, but the statute also says that Facebook can make editing decisions and is immune from any kind of state liability laws regarding discrimination. You know, you could make a religious discrimination claim out, but this federal statute blocks it all. And so effectively, they've let media companies be these editors, heavy-handed editors, deciding what's orthodox and what's not. And there's very uh, little recourse to be had at all. And your comments on the uh, the line of cases involving the malls being public spaces, I think that was a healthy line of cases, but it disappeared and went away. I honestly think there's a good case to be made that these online um, big media companies, Facebook, Twitter, that really they should be regulated like public utilities at some level, right? They're doing a public function, creating a forum for our communications. Uh, it probably shouldn't be anything goes. We don't want to be deluged with a wave of pornography. But as far as idea speech and political views and views on sexuality and gender, there needs to be greater protection than currently exists. And unfortunately, the left wing, which has a history of being somewhat supportive of free speech rights is backing away from that and playing more and more the oppressive role of censor. Well, I think that, you know, to kind of bring this full circle to your earlier comment about Christian nationalism, what we're seeing is that the commitment on the left to vigorous protection of free speech is undermined by the sort of um, polarizing and partisan nature of the culture wars. You know, it's like, well, we believe in free speech, but there's some speech that, you know, it's one thing to protect, as the ACLU did so long ago, the right of Nazis to march in a Jewish neighborhood. But I don't know if they're willing to do that anymore when it comes to kind of the Christian nationalist uh, wing of the right. There's a much greater reluctance and certainly the story that, that I let out with, the fact that their defense of the Christian nationalists led to the death of a young woman in Charlottesville, Virginia, has given pause. So, you know, the fact that there may be restrictions on the free speech that, that we in the faith community are, are suffering 
is in part a reaction to excesses on our side of things. You know, the 20th century gives some terrible examples of genocide, of of how speech has led not just to, you know, offensive ideas, but offensive ideas becoming weaponized and creating real physical harm. If you watch the movie uh, Hotel Rwanda, I believe that's the name of it, right? The Hutus and the Tutsis, there were months of dehumanization over the radio of one group calling the other cockroaches and subhuman and it actually gives one pause as to, you know, what does imminent incitement to violence mean? Does it mean something that happens in five minutes? Why is it more protected if this is something that will lead to a genocide in three months? Um, these are honest questions. You know, the First Amendment doctrine wasn't handed to us from the sky on the Ten Commandments. It's uh, a body of, of human law that we constantly monitor and assess and rebalance as we see its abuses and misuses actually causing real and physical harm. And so this is a time for such assessment, but I don't think we want to tip it over entirely and we don't want to give our free speech rights into the hands of private corporations that have no accountability at all. Because right now our church itself is being repressed in its ability to share its, ironically, its religious liberty message are the choices of private corporations. And we've got to start raising our voices and speaking up on these things as a community. This is a topic, no doubt, we will have to return to because it is ongoing, it's not going away. Very grateful for my guest today, Professor Nick Miller, being with us as always. Thank you. And as we close, folks, please remember at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk the talk about religious freedom. We work, we provide legal services to those suffering religious discrimination and harassment. And I think of uh, social media, our discussion today reminds me of some of my religious harassment cases that I've been dealing with. So friends, be informed, get involved. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, keep freedom ringing.